Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! The world around us is constantly changing, consistently failing, and fighting against the rules and lie about who you are. The world seeks connection, but is drowning in separation and division and fighting against everything we stand for. The world seeks to be the answer to something that someone greater than us designed. God calls us to have skillful hands, so we will develop confidence and competence in who Jesus is. Men join teams to win, so we will develop authentic and intentional relationships. We will become fully known by a few. We are stronger together. Our enemy says a man's purpose is pleasure, but pursuing Jesus as Lord is our ultimate pleasure. So we will joyfully take our next step of faith. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. So we will develop a heart to invest in others. We are creating a disciple-making culture. We will become disciple-makers. We will be unleashed to be the full force of the church, one man at a time. Our end game is not to be the best we can be, but rather to make Jesus' name known and Him famous. This is our purpose. This is Southeast Men's. Let's go! story together that it's not just Thursday mornings for you. I hope that you'll take the story of Joseph home, that you're going through those chapters in Genesis chapter 37 to 50 and kind of soaking in it yourself. Read through it again yourself. The story is just so full, so full. So I'm excited to unpack a little bit of it with you today. One of the things I think you've probably seen that we're really going to see today in our in our kind of glimpse into the Joseph story is how Joseph, I think, can waver between, or you think he could, the story could, waver between hopelessness and hope. Have you, have you seen that a little bit so far in his story? Now, I don't know if Joseph wavers very much as a character. The way that the Bible presents him, he seems pretty like resolute, steadfast. <clears throat> but if I were him, I'd be kind of going through his story thinking, this is brutal. Like, am I going to trust this? Am I going to believe it? Because like, as soon as things get good, they go really, really bad. And then as soon as things go bad, then they shoot way back up really good. It's like he's living this whiplash kind of life. I, I just can't imagine that as Joseph is a human being, he's not going through some sort of like roller coaster of how do I keep my hope? How do I keep my joy? How do I keep going when things get tough? That's just kind of his life. You guys seen that so far as you've been unpacking the story? I don't know how he maintains complete, perfect steadfastness. There's just no way. And so I think for us, we're going to find again in, in, in kind of our installment in this story, it's another one of those waves that I think Joseph is going to have to ride. And I, I am excited to unpack that with you because I think it's so real. It's easy to read this story and see Joseph as like a superhero, and he's presented as like a great character to emulate. But I just want to suggest to you, before we get very far into our text, Joseph, I don't think, is a superhero. Joseph's a human guy trying to navigate life. And one of the gifts I think we can see in this story is a human guy navigating a difficult situation well. And so we can see, man, what does this take? What can we learn from him? And more importantly, what do we learn about the God Joseph serves that allows him to do it? because I think that's really what we're going to see today. So we're going to uh, look at Genesis chapter 40. If you've got your Bible, open up there. That's where we're going to be camped out today, Genesis 40. 
And uh, we're going to see Joseph live through this hope and hopelessness thing again. Uh, one of the things about March Madness that I think people love so much, even, even if you're not a huge basketball fan, people tend to like get engaged in this. It's just one of the things we do. And I'm not everybody, but a lot of people, right, in this country, in this city. Goodness, when I moved to Louisville, it was like college basketball is the thing. I didn't realize that it was this big anywhere. It's a big deal here. One of the things I think that March Madness does to us is it triggers that hope thing. Because it's, there's always a chance. Even now, there's a chance a 16 could be to one, right? There's a chance. It's possible. It's happening. It's happened before. There's always a chance your team could do it. This year, I'm like I'm kind of in the the uh, hopelessness pit with Joseph a little bit. My Michigan Wolverines not not in the tournament. So usually, I've got like, well, there's a chance I'm going to pick them. You know, um, there's always kind of this glimmer of hope you can hold on to. I'm also a Detroit Lions fan. So this is the first time in my lifetime, maybe, since like Barry Sanders, that I'm like, there's hope. There's a chance. Now, I've I've been a Lions fan long enough. I don't buy it. So I think I'm pretty deep in the hopelessness pit. But we kind of go through these things. That's why I think March Madness is so intriguing to so many. There's a chance you're going to grab onto. But if I'm Joseph in a real-life human situation, that's not me on paper writing down who I think might win some, you know, bracketed upset thing. If you're a human person living this kind of life, you get thrown in a pit, it's not going to take very long for me to look around and say, I think I'm stuck here. Why did God leave me here? Like those are the feelings I I know I would feel, right? So we're going to pick that up in Genesis 40. I think Joseph is kind of, I would guess, teetering on that edge of, can I hold on to this? Can I keep going? How much longer? The end of chapter 39, Joseph was thrown in prison for a wrongful accusation, right? Do you remember this? Joseph was accused of trying to sleep with his boss's wife. And so he's thrown in prison. His boss is a pretty influential guy. So Joseph gets that accusation. He's thrown in jail. He didn't do anything wrong, but he's sitting in prison, kind of wondering how long, what's going to happen? How long am I have to sit here? At the end of chapter 39, there's this little glimmer of hope. If you can look at that in verse like 23, it says it in verse 21 and in verse 23, Joseph's in prison, but the Lord was with him. Do you see that twice? Genesis 39, 21, Genesis 39, 23, the Lord was with Joseph. That's our one little glimmer where Joseph's sitting in a prison, wrongfully accused, wondering how long, how bad, hope is, hopelessness is sinking in, but the Lord was with him. So that's what he can hold on to. That's why I want to see how does God use that little glimmer of hope to keep Joseph going. So now, Genesis 40, verse 1, let's pick up into our story. Here's what it says, Genesis 40. Verse 1, sometime later, so he's been thrown in prison. He's sitting there for a while. How much longer? We don't know. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. So this is not like maximum security prison, probably. If you've got one of the prisoners in charge of some of the other prisoners, usually that's not a great situation. This says something about who Joseph is and his character that he's trusted. I think it also says something about what this prison is. I just wonder if, if um, like even Joseph's boss knew when he was accused that maybe... Like there's something else to this because this doesn't seem like you're in solo isolation, the worst prison you could be. There's ancient laws we found where somebody like Joseph should have been executed 
for what he was accused of. He wasn't. So I just wonder if Joseph's in, it's, it's almost like a house prison, like a holding place while we kind of figure out what we're going to do to save our face politically. Does that make sense? So Joseph's in charge of some other prisoners who I think are going through the same thing. Like some high-ranking officials of Pharaoh that he got mad at one day. And you just wonder if he had a bad day and was like, you go to prison. Like he's just mad and sends him to prison and they're going to sort it out later. That's kind of what's happening. So Joseph's in charge of a couple of these guys. Um, in the middle of verse four, it says, after they'd been in custody for sometime. So verse 1, it says sometime later. We don't know how long. Sometime. Here in verse 4, after sometime, like time is kind of getting relative here in the prison hopelessness pit. You see that? Verse 5, each of those two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Okay, so let's stop there um, for a little bit here and kind of look at these verses, the first little glimpse of God working that I think we can see. Um, here's one thing I want you to notice too about, you know, we talked about these guys in prison. The cupbearer is going to become a really important figure over the next few chapters in this story. So, so let's get to know him just a little bit. That word cupbearer in verse 2, who's one of these guys, the cupbearer and the baker <clears throat> are put in prison. Um, that word cupbearer, um, what this guy does... Um, some of you may know this. What this guy does is would take a drink, basically, of whatever the king was about to drink to make sure it wasn't poisoned. So this is somebody you trust, somebody pretty close to you. Like, um, you're really going to depend a lot on this guy if you're the king. It's just kind of, that's kind of a brutal, like, ancient practice, right? Like, somebody might poison me. You try it first. That's like, whoa, you're pretty full of yourself. But here's another, another way this word cupbearer could be translated is butler. Like it's that kind of like right-hand person. I trust you. You help me do everything I need help with. This is like the, um, the Alfred character or the Jeffrey from Fresh Prince kind of character. This is the like, I trust you to manage everything with me kind of guy, right? So imagine that then if you're Pharaoh and that guy betrays you or makes you mad, like that's a pretty severe relationship to be severed. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? It's like, I mean, who knows about the Batcave? It's like Batman, Robin, and Alfred. Like, that's it. And if Alfred betrays Batman, that's big. Like, that's deep. That's close. And so if the cupbearer, the butler, the right-hand guy betrays the king, makes the king mad, things aren't right in the king's house. Like, there's a lot of unrest. Does that make sense? So Joseph sees this guy come down there. I just wonder what the dynamics might have been like. Um, there's that much unrest in the Pharaoh's palace. So that's who's down there. Um, Joseph is keeping watch over him. But I, I want to key on this phrase in verse 1 and in verse 4, sometime later. And then in verse 4, for some time. They've been in custody for some time. I just think this is a really real kind of phrase in this story to me. And I wonder how many of you guys have felt that period of time. It's one thing if you're going to say, hey, I need you to wait here. I need you to like, it's going to be a hard week. It's going to be a hard month. After that, we're past it. I want you to kind of dig in. I know it's frustrating. I know it's discouraging. After a little while, you're going to get past it. But when it's just sometime later, that's a different story, right? If it's like this job season is going to be brutal. Next six months, traveling a lot, I'll make it. If it's just for some time, that's much more difficult. And this, this is the kind of like, how does Joseph maintain his character, his hope, his joy for some period of time? But that's the little, the little key, I think, in this story that points us beyond Joseph to say, if I'm a human guy and saying, you're in prison for some time, well, how long? When will I know? What's going to change it? I don't know. 
just let some time pass. That's rough. But, but here's what I want to say. Here's what I notice in Joseph because he keeps going. Now, the text doesn't give us many clues on how he's feeling about this sometime time frame. Except to say that he keeps going and he keeps his eyes up off of himself onto moving forward in the situation. Uh, here, here's how I would say it because we see God start to move. I would say this for you guys today. When you're ready to give up, God might just be getting started. Can I just remind you of that today? When you're ready to give up, God just might be getting started. So I don't know how long this is, but if I'm Joseph and it's been some time, even if it's like, hey, you're kind of in charge of the prison. Like, well, I would rather not be in charge of a prison and be free, right? Like for some time, Joseph is kind of wallowing in this wrongful accusation. He's stuck in a place he shouldn't be. He's doing a job he probably doesn't want to have. Sure, you're the captain of the prison. I don't want to be in prison. But for some undisclosed, unknown, nondescript amount of time, Joseph sitting in prison for some time. And I just wonder if he's a human person, which he was. Surely Joseph is thinking, how much longer? I don't know how much longer I can do this. I've kept up my joy when my brothers hated me. I kept up my joy when my dad turned on me. I kept up my joy when I was sold into slavery. I kept up my joy when I was wrongfully accused for a while, for some time. How much longer? I don't know. A little bit longer. Some more time. Have you ever been in a sometime later kind of situation? Maybe you're there right now and you're looking around saying, how much longer till things get better? How much longer till the relationship improves? How much longer am I going to face this conflict and this conflict and this conflict? Sure, my job is fine, but I'd rather not have this one. I'd rather have that one. I'd rather just get out of this place and go, how much longer? I don't know. Sometime longer. That's hard to keep your hope up. But can I remind you, when you might be ready to give up, God might just be getting started. And if Joseph had thrown in the towel and not had eyes to see these two guys, if Joseph had kind of, Joseph had kind of given up the role he had as the leader of the prison among the prisoners, he would never have had a chance to speak to the Alfred of Egypt. He never would have had a chance to, to let his story begin to take a turn like we're going to see in the next few verses. If Joseph would have given up when things seemed a little hopeless, if Joseph would have given up when the timeline seemed a little too long, if Joseph would have given up when it, given up when it seemed like it was just a little further than he could manage, if he would have given up then, God couldn't have shown up through it. So I don't know where you sit or where that hits you now. My guess is, as I'm talking about this, there's probably something in your mind saying, I know that sometime later feeling. Whatever that is, can I just tell you, if you feel ready to give up, don't give up. Because God might just be about to get started. And if you give up now, you'll miss it. So that's what I see in the beginning of the story. If Joseph gave up now, he'd miss what God was about to do. So let's see what God's about to show up and do. Verse 6 says, when Joseph came to them, these two guys he's keeping watch over, when he came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me and on a vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. 
and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, Joseph says, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. So I think Joseph sees this opportunity. He's able to help this guy, genuinely help him. And then he has good news for him. And then I think he's able to, to kind of recognize this is one of the right-hand like housekeepers of Pharaoh. If this is going to go well for him. I could put in a good word for me. This could be a turning point. Joseph hasn't given up, and now he has a chance to kind of jump in on a turning point and see what God might do. So this, this is a big, a big turn in the life of a guy who's sitting in prison for a while. Here's a couple of things I think are really interesting. In verse um, 8, when Joseph says, do not interpretations belong to God? There's a couple of things I want to point out there that I think are pretty cool. As Joseph's talking to this Egyptian guy who would not have believed in God, wouldn't have cared about God, probably would have thought that Joseph's God was ridiculous to think about in an ancient Egyptian culture. Joseph already, before he does anything, is already saying, he's, he's almost like giving God the credit before anything good even happens. Right? He's like, hey, I know a God who can help you. You're in a tough situation. I know someone who can help you. You're sad, dejected, frustrated. I have hope for you. Well, how does Joseph have that hope? It's because he hasn't given up, right? So Joseph, because he's maintained his character, because he hasn't given up, even in brutal circumstances, he's able to say, I know somebody who's helped me through the toughest times of my life. You know what? I've been put here unfairly. You know how I'm making it? Because God who knows the answer to dreams, because of the God who can work in spite of our circumstances. Joseph is able to point to that because he's living it. And then he points that to this guy. Here's the other thing I think is really interesting historically. Back in ancient Egypt and in other ancient cultures at that time, they actually had books, like magic books, that were designed to help you interpret dreams. And they would have examples of here's a dream and here's how you might interpret it so that people could kind of figure out what dreams meant. And of course, it's like uh, not the way God would want things done. Joseph here, in a culture where it would have been really widely known, if you have a dream, there's a meaning, go to a sorcerer, go to a magician, go to a religious practitioner, and they've got a book somewhere that can help you figure out the mystical nature of whatever you dreamed up, right? Joseph, though, is saying, because these guys are stuck. They're like, we know people exist who can do this. None of them are here. We're in a prison. And Joseph's like, you don't need that stuff anyway. I know the God of the universe who plants dreams in your heart. Let him tell you. This is a totally different turn. So I think these guys, again, are probably, I'm guessing, are probably on the verge of making fun of him because that's ridiculous. In a culture where they have ways of figuring this stuff out and Joseph says, I'm just going to know it because I know God. They're like, no, we have like textbooks for this. I think they're on the verge of making fun of him and Joseph says, I'm going to take a bold step and say, I have something worth saying. Let me give it to you. Um, so Joseph's willing to be bold in that situation and kind of jump in um, with his faith. Here's the, the biggest thing I see in this, in this section of the story, though, for us. If we're talking about how do we navigate when things are hard, when we're in those sometime later, when things aren't what we thought they would be and we need to hold on to hope. Here's what Joseph does. Again, he doesn't keep his eyes on him. He's not wallowing. He's not sad. I'm sure he's sad, but he's not just like living in despair. Joseph's able to lift his eyes up and see someone else. So Joseph is in a prison unfairly, but he sees a couple people in prison with him who were sad. Don't you think everyone in the prison would have been sad? Probably. But Joseph has some kind of different eyes to say, there's something about you that's off today. I've noticed people 
there's something about you that's off today. And then he has the courage to ask. I'm sure there's people in your lives, I know there's people in mine, that I see them sometimes and it's like, I can tell today's not your day, right? And a lot of times, a lot of times, I can kind of jump past that moment. It's like, man, today must be a rough day for you. Well, I'm busy too. I got to hurry up and get here. I got to hurry up and get here. I'm stressed out about this. And you kind of move past and move on. I wonder how many kind of moments like this we miss. Because there's people you see and there's something in your heart that's saying, something's off today. Something's not right today. I'm going to move past it because I'm busy. I'm going to move past it because I'm afraid of what they might say. I'm going to move past it because I don't want to handle whatever they're handling. I got my own stuff. But Joseph, who's in prison, surrounded by prisoners, says, Something's not right. You okay? How are you today? He's got a different kind of set of eyes to see that. I wonder where that comes from. I wonder if there's a spirit of God somewhere in him who says, hey, I made all these children. And if you'll listen to me, you can open your eyes and, and see what's wrong and see somebody needs some time and see somebody needs to be asked how they're doing. Here, here's how I would say it for us today. When you see people, like when you really see people, then you have a chance to see God at work. When you see people, you have a chance to see God at work. If I'm going through my life moving too fast, moving too stressed, if I'm going through my life focusing all right here, I'm going to have a really limited view on the work of God around me in the world. Does that make sense? If I can lift up my eyes and take time to look in people's eyes and look down into their heart and care about them and ask that, look at what Joseph asked them at the end of verse 7. Why do you look so sad today? That's a really simple question. My, maybe that's not exactly the right question. Maybe it is. But if you really lift up your eyes and look people in the eye, look people in the heart, and just say, hey, man, you don't seem like yourself today. You all right? What would happen if you just took the time to ask? What would happen if you just said, hey, it seems like this week's been really hard for you. You need somebody to listen? I'd love to hear what's going on. What if you just took the time to see people like that? Then I think you can see God working. We have the Holy Spirit in us, right? Like Joseph's sitting in a prison. God is clearly working through him. How much more then for us who have the Holy Spirit living inside of us can we start our day saying, Holy Spirit, show me who's sad today. Holy Spirit, show me who needs encouragement today. Holy Spirit, show me somebody today that I can ask how they're really doing and slow down enough to look in the eye and say, hey, you all right today? What's going on? And then when you lift your eyes up from here, I think you can see God at work in a million ways around you. If we don't do that, I have one limited view. And when I focus, I don't know about you guys, when I focus too much here, it's way easier to get stuck in the hopelessness pit. You know what I mean? If it's all like what I'm going through and what I have to do today and what's going on with me and what's going on with my relationships and why did my wife say that that way? And when it's all here, then it's easy to like, oh, it's so rough. When it's out here, then I'm seeing God move. And I'm not stuck in myself. I'm able to look up beyond it and say, God, what do you have today? And then I think you've got a chance to have a conversation that might change your life and might change theirs. And that's what Joseph is able to do in this situation. So when you really see people, you can see God at work. Here's the last section of this story. Let's pick back up in verse 16 and see what happens from here. So Joseph has just been talking to the cupbearer. He's interpreted this dream, kind of gives him some good news. Things are promising for this guy who is sad. Things are about to turn a corner, Joseph tells him. So the other guy overhears that, 
in verse 16. And remember, Joseph has just kind of turned and said, hey, I'm going to give you this interpretation of this dream. By the way, when things go well for you, don't forget that I'm here unfairly, right? Would you just put in a good word for your boss? It'd be great. And then this other guy overhears, you just gave a good interpretation for a dream. He's going to get out of prison. Can I tell you mine? Like this guy kind of interjects. So in verse 16, Joseph has just been sharing his story. And then it says, when the chief baker saw Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. And I I really see him like almost in the corner of the room thinking like, your God's going to interpret a dream. This is so dumb. Wait, 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 wait. I have one. I have one. Like, can I play? You know, like he wants to be part of it. I have a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head. Up, up earlier uh, in verse 13, he says to the, to the cupbearer, Pharaoh's going to lift up your head like your hope will be restored. This guy, he says, Pharaoh's going to lift off your head. That doesn't sound as promising. And now this guy's thinking, like, I should have stayed in the corner, right? He's going to lift off your head and impale your body on a pole. Like, oh, man. And the birds will eat away your flesh. Verse 20, now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. So things turn, things are hopeful, Joseph was right, this guy gets his job back, and you're thinking, man, Joseph was able to tell this guy what he wanted and how unfairly he was. This guy gets his job just like Joseph said. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. You've got Joseph who is faithful with his opportunity. You've got Joseph who lifted up his eyes beyond himself. Joseph who didn't wallow in self-pity, but found a way to go invest in somebody else and take an interest in somebody else, get his eyes off himself. He did the right things. And then he's sitting in prison, forgotten. Look, skip down. Let's kind of cheat into next week a little bit. Look at chapter 41, verse 1. When two full years had passed. (laughs) So Joseph's forgotten again in prison. For a couple years. Now this is not just like, he forgot about me for a couple of days and I sent him a text and reminded him, you know. Somebody forgot me at coffee and he was 30 minutes late. That stinks. Two years passed. And it would be so easy for Joseph, right? I did the right things. I tried to maintain my hope. I probably am wrestling with God for some time. I don't even know how long. It's been forever. I did all the right things. I said all the right bold things. I even told this guy the hard truth. And I took an interest in these guys and I tried to invest in their day. Two years sitting in prison alone. And here's the other thing. We know now it was two years. (laughs) When Joseph was forgotten, again, it wasn't, hey, for a couple years I'm going to forget you and then after that I'll remember. It was forgotten, alone, overlooked again. Nobody's paying attention to me again. I did the right thing. Nobody cares. I was encouraging to you, nobody noticed. I made your day when you were sad. I took the time to listen and to care and invest. Nobody cares. Overlooked, forgotten, alone, wallowing in prison for years. But here's what I want to remind you. Because this story, for one, turns later. For another, is in here for a reason. Joseph still is an example to us of how to suffer faithfully, right? how to suffer with hope, how to maintain your joy. I I might say it this way. When people overlook you, God is still with you. 
when people overlook you, God is still with you. And how this story started with Joseph thrown in prison unfairly, it says, but God was with him. And Joseph kind of got a promotion in prison. God was with him. He's in prison, but God is there. Even in the prison, God is there. And so even forgotten in prison for more years, who do you think is still there? God. Here's what else I think. This is one instance in a handful of scripture verses. Just a couple of guys who came across Joseph's path while he was helping monitor the prison for this guy. But if he's there for two or three or more years, if he's there for some time, some undisclosed amount of time, how many people do you think came across his path who were having a bad day? And Joseph said, hey, why are you so sad today? I I wonder how many other interactions Joseph might have had because he took the time to care that we don't get to read about because they're not going to write down every single detail of every person who ever lived. I wonder how many more people crossed Joseph's path whose lives took a drastically different turn because Joseph was there. And if he wasn't there, they never would have met him. If Joseph wasn't there, would this cupbearer have known? How many more people crossed Joseph's path? I wonder how many more people could cross your path for some amount of time. You're in the job that you're tired of having. For some amount of time... You're in this conflict, you're tired of navigating. For some amount of time, whatever it is, you fill in the blank. You're in this sometime later, why this long kind of season. When you lift your eyes up to really see people, and when you can remember, I may feel alone, it may feel like people don't care, it may feel like people are overlooking me, it may feel like I'm getting passed up again. But God is still with me. And if God's with me in this prison, if God's with me in this season, who might he be bringing across my path? And I could make their day today. How many people do you think it could be? A dozen? How many people do you think it could be? I mean, I I wonder how often you guys have served, volunteered. You've gone to a a serve day where you're putting molts down and whatever it is. You go serve. You invest. You pour out. You feel great. And then it's like, did that make a difference? Did anybody appreciate me? I don't know if this, like, showing up every week to serve in kids' ministry, I don't know if those things make a difference. I'm just pouring out. What happens? I just want to remind you, no matter what you feel from people, no matter how long it seems like you're in a, I'm going to be faithful no matter the outcome kind of situation, when people overlook you, God is still with you. Who were you working for in the first place? And if Joseph was working in prison just to try to get out, or if Joseph was working in prison just so Pharaoh would notice him, if Joseph was working in prison just to build his own reputation, then for some time or for two years, Joseph gives up. He throws in the towel. But if Joseph is, is serving faithfully in prison because he knows that God is with him and God is watching, then he can keep going, right? So if God is with Joseph in prison, how much more than for us do we have the promise of our God that I am with you always to the end of the age, Jesus said. That wherever he sends you into, wherever you've been placed, I believe you're placed on purpose and placed on mission. And there's people who, are cro- who will cross your path today that will not cross anyone else's path in here today. And I think God says, I have sent you there. I've placed you there. How long? I don't know, for some time. But you're there today. And while you're there today, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So lift up your eyes and see them. Lift up your eyes off of yourself and see who God's putting in front of you today. Because when Joseph takes the time to invest, it makes a difference. When Joseph takes the time to look beyond himself, it makes a huge difference. When we take the time to look up beyond ourselves and say, there's a God I know who changed everything for me. 
There's a God I know who makes all the difference for me. There's a God I know who, Joseph says, interprets dreams. There's a God I know who gives hope where there's hopelessness. There's a God I know who forgave all my sin. Why are you so sad today? Can we talk about that? How much longer are you going to be in the season you're in? I don't know. For some time. How many more people might cross your path during that time? I don't know. It could be one, and then be worth it. It could be a hundred, and then be worth it. But if we don't lift up our eyes and see, we'll never know. And I just want to remind you that when people overlook you, if you feel like nobody cares, nobody notices, you're unseen and off in a corner where it's not going to make a difference. When people, when people overlook you, God is still with you. And if he's still with you, it's still worth doing. Here's the last thing I want to say to you today that I think kind of wraps up. If I could just sum this all up in one little segment as you keep chewing on the story and go to table time to talk, I would just say this. You don't have to be a man like Joseph was to live the kind of life that Joseph lived. You just need to know the same God that Joseph knew. That's what makes the difference for him. Joseph, I think, is a good man. He's a good example. But Joseph knew the God of the universe. And so when I read this story, when I look at the Joseph story, I learn a lot from it. I'm challenged a lot from it. I'm convicted. I'm inspired. But sometimes I'm left going like, well, that's one of the superheroes, right? Nothing bad is even said about him. What an amazing man of integrity. And I think we should have some of that. But I think the main character of the Joseph story isn't Joseph. It's the God who's working despite all of it. And so I just want to say to you one more time, this is what I want to leave you with. You don't have to be a man just like Joseph was to live the kind of life Joseph lived. You just need to know the same God Joseph knew. And you can. Let me pray for you. God, I'm grateful for this story that you left us. I'm grateful for the way you worked in Joseph's life that we can learn from, that we can be inspired and challenged by. And I pray that that would happen in this room today. That men would leave this room today um, to go lift up their eyes and really see the people who crossed their path and speak up on your behalf and ask them a question um, and just check in on how they're doing. Um, it's amazing how that little, it's so simple, that little thing sometimes can be such an opening for the way you work in us and through us, the way you want to work in other people. So I pray that this would be a room full of men today who doesn't get stuck on themselves, who doesn't get stuck um, in the hopelessness, who doesn't, doesn't get tempted today to quit, but is reminded today that you might just be getting started. And then when we look up to see people, we can see you work. And most of all, God, will we remember, will we remember deep down in our being that no matter who sees us or doesn't see us, that no matter how it feels or doesn't feel, that no matter how long the season lasts or doesn't last, you are with us in it. So we take that with us today, God. And I pray that you would be at work in all of our lives through your word today and through our time um, discussing the tables. So it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.